Good morning, beloved. How's everybody this morning? Uh, praise be to God. We are going to turn our attention to God's word this morning. But before we do, um, just a couple of things I want to say by way of announcement. Uh, some of you guys may have um, bumped into a couple of folks, a couple of brothers and sisters out in the parking lot, uh, giving out literature and, and hoping to have a conversation about abortion and about the Christian responsibility to oppose abortion. Um, we've invited them in to worship with us and hope that they do. Uh, and I invite them to stick around afterwards um, because it's an issue that we should be actively engaged in and caring about and praying about and acting on as many of us are. And so uh, welcome them as brothers and sisters and pray for them, pray for the um, success of their effort to raise awareness and to mobilize the church. Amen. Also, some of you have been around long enough to remember when we used to memorize scripture. Yeah, I only got like a couple claps on that. So we're like, wait a minute, that feels like a commitment. <laughs> it was a little bit hard to do on the pandemic online, but um, you guys will recall that when we've had the privilege of going through, particularly the New Testament letters, and going through them in sort of small um, chunks, we have week to week attempted to memorize the scripture. And we're going to do that um, starting next week with First Timothy. Amen. Amen. So the way it works is I'll preach a passage of, of Scripture. So like this morning, I'm going to preach 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, just two verses. Uh, and in the week ahead, you memorize those two verses. And then we'll come back on next Sunday morning. And before I preach the sermon, I'll just ask if there's anybody who wants to recite those verses for us. I won't, I won't just call on people randomly. and It's not a pop quiz. Um, but if there are one, two, or three people who want to recite those verses for us in whatever translation you like to use and memorize scripture in, then that's what we'll do. It's been, it's been one of the most encouraging things to memorize scripture together, to see children memorizing the scripture, to see older persons and persons in the middle memorizing the scripture together. And so let's do that. Let's hide God's word in our hearts as we walk through this book, 1 Timothy. Amen? Oh, my goodness. We're going to work on enthusiasm. Let me pray for y'all. Let me pray, and we're going to look at 1 Timothy together. Father, we thank you for your holy, inspired, inerrant, authoritative, life-giving word. We thank you that you breathed it out by your spirit through people that you were carrying along to record your thoughts. And we thank you, O Lord, that in your great power you have preserved this word that we might have it, that we might treasure it, that we might learn from it and be changed by it. We believe your word gives life, not just an earthly life. We believe your word gives eternal life, that life that really is life. And we pray this morning that you would stir us to life, that you would awaken us by your word, that you would help us by your word, that in some cases you might even heal us by your word, and that you would save by your word. We thank you, O Lord, for uh, gathering us this morning to sit at your feet, and we ask, O Lord, that you would speak to us now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, if you've been coming along in 2022, you know that, uh, well, one other thing. Anybody need a Bible this morning? 
just raise your hands this morning. Uh, just raise them high. There are a couple of folks who are bringing Bibles up the aisle. Uh, we are happy to uh, loan you a Bible this morning. If you have right up front here, LaVon, if you own a Bible already, we're happy to loan you one for this morning. If you don't own a Bible or your Bible is falling apart or you lost it or left it on an airplane, whatever, you need another Bible, we're happy for you to take this Bible uh, as our gift to you. And so uh, we hope that you will treasure God's word with us. Uh, you'll be helped to follow along in a sermon if you have it open to 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. 1 Timothy chapter 1. Amen. Everybody got a Bible that needs a Bible? All right. Praise God. We're Bible people. All right. So if you've been coming along in 2022, uh, you know that um, the elders, the pastors here decided that kind of as a theme for the year, we wanted to go back to basics and we wanted to go back to some fundamental teaching on the local church, what the local church is, what it's called to do, how we are called to live together as pastors and people, uh, how we're called to live together in a, as a covenant community. Uh, we wanted to do that because, well, basically for 18 months, almost two years, we've been unable to assemble because of the pandemic. And it seems to me that in that 18-month, in that two-year period where churches have been unable to assemble, lots of things have been forgotten. Lots of routines have been forgotten. Lots of truth have, have been forgotten. Lots of spiritual experiences, encouragement have, have just simply been forgotten. And so most of us, if you're like me, we, we're probably sort of now trying to sort of rebuild our Christian lives, right? Even those of us who or some of you who have felt like you've been using this opportunity to deconstruct some things. Uh, I hope that you've also been equally interested in reconstructing some things, right? of rebuilding your faith, perhaps from the studs up, from the foundation up, uh, and, and sort of reacquiring a pattern of life that conforms to Christ and conforms to his Bible. And so we have spent time in our sort of five objectives as a church. Pastor Dennis led us through our five M's to start the year. We spent about four weeks thinking about the relationships between pastors and people to sort of reframe that relationship and expectations there. And we've just finished uh, our series through the church covenant, uh, which is our agreement, our, our sort of agreement from the scripture about how we are to live as a covenant community. Those have all been kind of topical sermons. Uh, we've taken a topic and addressed it with the scripture. Um, but we also want our thoughts shaped not just by the topics we pick, but by the arguments that God makes, Right. And to do that, we're going to walk through 1 Timothy. We want to let the Lord sort of shape our thinking in the pattern and, and the rhythm that he gives us in this entire book. And we're going to start here with Paul's letter to Timothy, these first two verses. This letter is written about 65 AD. Um, this was Paul's, this was after Paul's first imprisonment. He's probably in Macedonia. And the recipient of this letter, Timothy, is a pastor in a city called Ephesus, at a church that Paul had planted there. And Paul tells us in the course of this letter that he writes this letter for two reasons. Number one, he writes this letter to encourage Timothy. So you might see that in chapter 1, verses 18 and 19. He says, This charge I entrust to you, Timothy, my child, in accordance with the prophecies previously made about you, that by them you may wage the good warfare, holding faith and a good conscience. So he's writing now to exhort Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, to continue in the faith, and to continue in the faith and in his ministry with a good conscience, 
with an upright and honorable disposition. Well, the second reason he gives for writing this letter is over in chapter 3, verses 14 and 15. There Paul writes, I hope to come to you soon, but I am writing these things to you so that if I delay, you may know how one ought to behave in the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of the truth. So his second reason is Paul is writing to Timothy to sort of teach this younger pastor how to lead the church to teach the church how it should behave, right? And this is why First and Second Timothy and the book of Titus are all called pastoral epistles. They're written to pastors about pastoral ministry, about the life of the church. And so it's an appropriate letter for us to come to as we are coming through this theme or working through this theme uh, of sort of regathering as a church and thinking again about the basics of the Christian life and life as a church community. Now, as we look at the opening here, verses 1 and 2, I want to give us uh, sort of three questions to consider. This will be our outline for the sermon. Three questions to consider. Number one, what is your God-given calling? What is your God-given calling? Number two, who is your child in the faith? Who? Is your child in the faith? And number three, how do you bless the church? How do you bless the church? First Timothy chapter one, verses one and two. Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So let's start with that first question. What is your God-given calling? Now, nearly every letter in the ancient world and every letter that we would write today begins with some kind of greeting and introduction, doesn't it? And this is what we have right here in verses 1 and 2. It's just a a greeting that's pretty customary to Paul's letters. But it's also an introduction. He says there, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. So Paul is writing to Timothy, introducing himself to Timothy, which is, when you think about it, a little weird. It's weird since Paul and Timothy know each other quite well. Timothy has been Paul's ministry assistant for years. Paul, as we'll see in a moment, has been like a spiritual father to Timothy. They've traveled together. They've preached together. They have, um, you know, ministered together. They've suffered together. So why would Paul begin this letter to someone he knows by introducing himself with his title and his calling? Well, I think it may be a little thing Paul does to remind himself of who he is in Christ. It's not that Timothy needs the introduction. It is perhaps that Paul needs the reminder of God's call on his life. It's perhaps that Paul needs this introduction of himself as a way of practicing a kind of affirmation or practicing a kind of meditation. Notice what he writes. He writes there two things about himself, an apostle of Christ Jesus, and then secondly, by command of God our Savior and of Christ Jesus our hope. 
Now, apostle is a messenger, is one who is sent with a message by someone else. And Paul makes it clear, he's not out here with this message in his own strength, under his own authority. No, he is sent, and specifically, it is by the command, it is by the order of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. And again, why would Paul rehearse this in the opening of his letters with people who know him? Well, it's because Paul had a past. This introduction was important for Paul because Paul had a past very different than this introduction. He had a serious past. Look over at chapter 1, verses 12 and 13. This is how he, he sums it up. He says, I thank him who has given me strength, Christ Jesus our Lord, because he judged me faithful, appointing me to this service. Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and a violent or insolent opponent. Paul, before he met Jesus, was a man who was trying to destroy the church. When we meet him in, in the early chapters of Acts, he's this faithful Jewish man who is zealous for the law of Judaism and who is really vexed about this new Jewish sect called followers of the way, or what we call now Christians. And Paul went and got authority from all the rulers of Judaism um, there in Jerusalem to go wherever he wanted to arrest Christians, persecute Christians, even beat Christians. When we meet Paul, he's standing by a mob as that mob is stoning Stephen after Stephen has preached this blistering sermon. Paul is like, I'll hold your coat. Go ahead. That's who he was. And the Bible says he went, he went seeking Christians, young and old, to arrest, breathing out cursings and threatening death. That's his past. That's his past. But Paul is reminding himself in the opening of this letter that he's somebody new now. What God says is true of Paul now is more important to his identity than what the past says was true of Paul then. Paul's purpose now in Christ is greater than his past then without Christ. Sometimes we have to preach to ourselves. Sometimes we have to remind ourselves of, of who we are in Christ, that we, we are not what we once were, that we too had a past, that we too did dirt, that we too were blasphemers and maybe even persecutors of the church and maybe even violent people, that we live contrary to the ways of God. And sometimes, beloved, sometimes that has a way of sneaking up in your conscience. That past has a way of, of whispering to us. You remember when? You ain't all that. What about that time? Now you're trying to act like. Maybe it's just me. Anybody ever heard that voice? And so we can listen to that voice and find ourselves being drawn backwards into that past, or we can preach to ourselves that Christ has come, and Christ has made us new, and who I am now is not who I used to be. And so Paul opens up this letter, I think, greeting Timothy, yes, but preaching to himself, an apostle by the command of God our Savior and Christ Jesus our hope. That's his new calling card. Beloved, let me say this to you real simply. Don't, don't let your past keep you from your God-given purpose. Don't let your past keep you from your God-given purpose. 
if God has called you to a role, he's commanded you to play a role or to serve a purpose, if he has sent you, as he has sent all of us in the Great Commission, then we must live into that calling. We, we must step forward into that calling. As Paul puts in Philippians, forgetting what's behind and what? Pressing toward the mark, right? Toward that high calling, which is in Christ Jesus. If you've been born again and your sins have been nailed to the cross, then walk in that new life. Walk in that new life where there is now, therefore, no condemnation. And so, beloved, I wonder what calling God has placed upon your life this morning. Some of them may be obvious, right? So if you're, if you're married and you're, you're called into marriage as a husband or a wife, if you're, if you're a parent, then you're, you're called into parenting as a, as a mother or a father. But then I wonder what unique calling God has placed upon your life. In what ways has God called you to serve his people, to serve his church, to advance his righteousness in the world? The, the young people who are out in the parking lot passing out literature with regard to abortion. I don't know how many of you have spoken with him, but it's clear this young man, the leader of the Jonathan, feels a passionate call. He feels a burden to sort of speak on that issue and to stir up this church and to stir up all churches. Praise God. May the Lord make him successful. May the Lord help him to do it in a way that's in decency and order, but may the Lord make him successful. But what about you? What has God uniquely placed upon your heart, burdened you with, given you a vision for, that you ought to be pursuing? And, and what about that calling and your past may be tempting you not to step forward, not to press into it? Beloved, do not let your past hinder your God-given purpose. And, and number two, just by way of applica application, if Paul is in part practicing a kind of affirmation in one and two, then we should do it as well. We should do it as well. We should practice preaching to ourselves those truths that, that God has actually said about us. We should preach to ourselves that we are forgiven. We should preach to ourselves that we are righteous through faith in Christ. We should preach to ourselves that the, the old life is done away with and the new has come. We should preach to ourselves that we are witnesses for Christ, that we have been called now to speak a good word of gospel to our neighbors and friends and coworkers and uh, to encourage each other as a church. We should practice these affirmations. I, I was asked to do this, to practice affirmations a little while ago by um, a consultant that's been working with the staff and the leaders doing some uh, trauma-informed care uh, kind of training for us. And, and she assigned us to do these affirmations. And I was like, I was already like, oh, man, I'm looking in the mirror and talking about, you know, you got lovely brown eyes. <laughs> doing all of that, right? And she laughed and she exhorted me still. And it wasn't until this morning that I realized that actually I have been helped to practice an affirmation about my calling, but I just didn't sort of recognize it as that. Some years ago, I wrote a blog post on why I'm a pastor. And there are a few lines in there that my wife took and put on a little five by seven and framed it for me. And for years, it's been on my desk or my dresser. And I look at that and I rehearse it every once in a while. That came out of a period where 
my wife was pivotal in keeping me in the ministry because I was discouraged and believing that I didn't have what it took to do this and ready to go back and work in public policy. And my wife sat and listened to me bellyache one night and after I had finished and I thought I had, you know, shot my shot and we were going to change directions, she just looked at me and she said, you wrong. Talk to you no more. <laughs> you know what I mean? She just said, you wrong. Brothers, get you a woman that'll tell you you're wrong sometimes and listen to her. Listen to her. Now, sister, don't be always telling the brothers they wrong. Uh, clapping too fast on that point right there. <laughs> clapping too fast. But somewhere in that season, she put that little reminder together for me. And, and it's been the Lord's voice through her action that has been an affirmation for me for years to keep going. So I want to encourage you, however you want to do it, sticky notes on your laptop or things on your refrigerator or just friends that encourage you that way, let's practice affirmation with each other that we might pursue the callings that God has upon our lives. So how is God calling you? What's your God-given purpose? Are you stepping into it? Here's my second question. Who is your child in the faith? Who is your child in the faith? I get that question from Paul addressing Timothy there. You see there in verse 2, to Timothy, my true child in the faith. As far as we know, Paul had no natural children of his own. He was single his entire life, and in fact, he saw singleness as an advantage. He writes in 1 Corinthians 7 that it allowed him to serve the Lord with an undivided heart, to be fully devoted to the Lord. But while he had no natural children that we know of, Paul had many spiritual children. And Timothy stood out among the number of spiritual children that Paul had. And that's why he calls Timothy here his true son in the faith. Or you could translate that, my genuine son in the faith. This is a real tender relationship between Paul as mentor and Timothy as student. Paul first met Timothy when Timothy was a young man in Acts chapter 16. Timothy's mother was Jewish and his father was Greek. And two things would have been true for Timothy because of his parentage. Number one, in the Jewish community, which looked down on marrying outside of the community, Timothy no doubt faced a lot of prejudice and alienation. And number two, his father being a Greek man, it, it doesn't appear that Timothy's father was a Christian. We're not told that in the scripture, just noted that he was Greek. So Timothy likely would have grown up without spiritual leadership from his dad. Whether his dad was there or absent, we, we don't know, but we can infer from that fact that he probably wasn't a molding, shaping, constant, present, uh, spiritual presence for his son. But Timothy's grandmother Lois and his mother Eunice were faithful believers, according to 2 Timothy 1, verse 5. And, and according to 2 Timothy uh, 3, verse 15, they taught Timothy the scriptures from infancy and how the scriptures were wise or, or able to make him wise unto salvation. So even though dad was out of pocket, seems to have been out of pocket, mom and grandma was standing in the gap. 
So much so that when we meet Timothy in Acts chapter 16, verse 2, this is what the Bible says. It says, he was well spoken of by brothers at Lystra and Iconium. He had grown up to be such a godly man that he had a good reputation in churches in two cities. This was Timothy. Listen, beloved. If our past shouldn't keep us from our calling and our new identity in Jesus, then neither should our missing or unbelieving parents keep us from faith and godliness. Uh, Timothy grew to be strong in the faith despite the fact that his father was likely not a believer. His grandmother poured into him. His mother poured into him the Scripture. And he became a man of God, again, even though he was lacking that vital role in his life. Listen, deadbeat dads don't have to lead to deadbeat faith. Missing moms don't have to lead to missing faith. The gospel and the scripture are more powerful than our parents. What we have here by God's grace in his word has a more profound, uh, a deeper and lasting shaping influence if we give ourselves to it than even our parents. It's wonderful if we have godly Christian parents. We praise God for that if that's been our experience. But it's actually no, no lasting uh, or, or no uh, uh, insurmountable difficulty if we didn't. For God is a father, and he raises us by his word. God can, by his grace, make more of us than our family structures and our parents can. That's Timothy's testimony. And that's the testimony of many of us this morning. I first saw my father in a church at his funeral. I can't ever remember having a spiritual conversation with my dad. I, I don't believe he was in Christ. Um, he didn't live that way, right? And, and one of my great fears for like all of my life since I was old enough to sort of be interested in girls one of my great fears is that I would be, grow up and be like my dad, who was never faithful to my mom. He had an influence on me, no doubt. He left when I was about 13. I'm oftentimes haunted by his absence. Even this morning, Christy said, hey, Titus is, you know, interested in shaving. He's got his shaving stuff in there. I'm like, shave what? And she said, you should, you should go give him some tips on shaving. I said, I don't know how to shave. I don't. By the time I had fuzz like Tito, my dad was gone. Ironically, he left his shaving brush behind. I remember what that smells like. But I don't, I don't know how to teach my son that. But praise be to God. I'm not my father, and I don't have to live into the life he lived. And Christ has shown me in his word a different way and given me grace for a different life, given me a future different from my past, and, and not just me, it's all of us. We trust in him and believe in him. And so when Paul meets Timothy, Timothy in Acts 16 
is this wonderful young godly man, and Paul takes him under his wings, and Timothy travels with Paul all over the place, and Timothy learns how to minister by following Paul's example, and Timothy learns how to suffer like a Christian by suffering together with Paul, and Timothy learns Paul's entire way of life. And through these many years of travel together, those many experiences, those many conversations, Timothy becomes, as Paul says here in verse 2, his genuine son in the faith. And my question for us this morning is, who's our son or daughter in the faith? We have one. One of the wonderful things about the Christian family is we may find dozens of spiritual parents and children who become as dear to us as perhaps our own biological families. And beloved, when this happens, it's a, it's a tremendous blessing. And it's the fulfillment of what Jesus promised when he calls us to follow him in discipleship. I'm thinking of Mark 10, verses 29 and 30. You may know these words. Jesus said, truly I say to you, there is no one who has left house or brothers, or sisters, or mother, or father, or children, or lands, for my sake and for the gospel, who will not receive a hundredfold now in this time houses, and brothers, and sisters, and mothers, and children, and lands with persecutions, and in the age to come, eternal life. You see what the Lord says? That when he builds his church, he's not just building a voluntary association of people who otherwise have nothing in common. When he builds his church, he's building a spiritual family in which are brothers and sisters, mothers and fathers, a hundred times the siblings and parents that we have left in this world to follow Jesus. And so this is the hope and the promise and the blessing, one of the promises of the gospel to follow Jesus is to follow him right into the family of God. It is to receive a hundred times the family members we may have to turn away from. And in God's family, following Jesus means finding then the belonging and the nurturing we may not have even received in our biological families. Just what the church is meant to be, family. And our church is only as strong as our relationships to each other, right? The greater the number of healthy spiritual relationships, the stronger our family. The more isolated and splintered off and unrelated we are, the weaker our family. Now, having a spiritual father or a spiritual mother relationship does not replace our biological relationships, right? So it's not exactly one-to-one, right? So do not transfer everything you want or wish you had in your biological parents onto the shoulders of a father or mother in the church. It's, It's not right. It's not fair. It's going to lead to idolatry and disappointment. Instead, let time and experience together form the bond. Let things develop as you walk together. In one sense, people become sort of parents the the moment a child is born. But in another sense, people only become good parents over time, right? And spiritual parenting is like that too. So don't be a perfectionist about it, demanding that in three weeks, somebody is like your mama or daddy. And expecting that they don't have any flaws as your mama or daddy. 
right? Let the relationships build. And don't let daddy pain or mama pain drive you into desperation or disappointment or despondency. Be intentional, but let it prayerfully and slowly happen. And you'll look up before you know it, and each of us will have mothers and fathers, sisters and brothers, just as Jesus promised. So who are you a spiritual parent to? Now notice I'm putting it in terms of a spiritual parent rather than a spiritual child. Because I think when we sort of put ourselves in the child position, it was really easy for us to be selfish and want someone to be that for us and not stop to think that we should be that for someone else. But if we're each acting to be that for someone else, we'll all wind up in a parent-child relationship. Amen? So who are you parenting spiritually? Who are you discipling spiritually? Question number three. How do you bless the church? How do you bless the church? I'm taking that from Paul's blessing at the end of verse 2. He says there, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. So Paul is blessing Timothy right here in the opening greeting with this kind of wish prayer for three things, for grace, mercy, and peace. Grace is another word for kindness. It's the kind of kindness we receive but don't deserve. Someone after church may give you an envelope with $1,000 in it. Amen. And you may say something like, what's this for? Because you know you didn't work for it, right? And they say something like, I just want to bless you with it. That's grace. That's grace, right? You didn't earn it or work for it. It's just given to you. And Paul here is praying that Timothy would see that kind of grace from God, that kind of generosity from God. But he prays also for mercy. Now, mercy is someone punishing you less than you deserve. It's when someone takes it easy on you, right? You were speeding and you know it. The officer pulled you over and asked you, do you know why I pulled you over? You said, yes, officer, I was speeding. The officer has every right to write you a ticket and maybe get a fine and maybe get a point on your license, on your insurance and your rates go up. But the officer comes back and gives you a warning instead of a ticket. That's mercy. It's mercy. It's treating you less than your sins deserve. Mercy gives relief while grace pardons. Mercy heals and helps while grace cleanses and repairs. And Paul says, I want for you both grace and mercy and also peace. Not just the absence of conflict, but the presence of wellness. Peace is this combination of ideas of tranquility and harmony, stability and welfare and health. It's related to the Hebrew idea of shalom or well-being, or we might say use the English word prosperity. We get the English name Irene from the Greek word translated peace here. And we need peace. We need peace with others. We need peace with God. We need peace with ourselves too, don't we? It's one of the most basic kind of human longings and needs that exists. The peace. I mean, how do we put it when we're stressed? I, I just need some peace and what? Quiet. Right? Now, notice something. Paul does not wish Timothy grace, mercy, and peace through a change of Timothy's circumstances. He doesn't wish Timothy these things because of 
human relationships, or money. Paul prays or wishes that the source for these blessings would be God himself. He writes, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus the Lord. I notice here in the theology that Paul gives us in these two verses. In verse 1, Paul referred to God our Savior and Jesus Christ our hope. That was a way of placing our attention on, on God as the one who rescues us from judgment and rescues us from hell. The Father is our Savior. He appoints us to eternal life even before the world began. And Jesus is our hope because he is the one who obeys God perfectly in our place and then dies on the cross to pay for our sins. He is raised from the, from the grave third, on the third day, defeating death and proving that God accepted his sacrifice. And so he has become our hope that through him and faith in him, we too would live eternally and be saved from God's judgment. And so Paul goes from thinking about God as our Savior to now thinking about God as our supplier. Notice what he says there uh, about that grace, peace, and, uh, and uh, mercy, that it comes from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. This brings us to focusing on God, not just as someone who acted in our past, but who is always acting to supply for us to provide for us. As Father and Lord, we get from God everything we need for life and godliness. He not only saved us in the past, he is taking care of us in the present and will take care of us in the future. It's this triune God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who gives us grace and mercy and peace. And without a relationship with the Father through his Son, we are without grace, mercy, and peace. We will be treated just as we deserve, not better than we deserve. And we will be punished just as we deserve, not less than we deserve. And our eternity will be one of dis-ease, not peace. As we suffer the judgment of God for all of time, God doesn't want that future for anyone. This is why he calls everyone to repent of their sins, to confess their sins to him, and to put their faith in Jesus and come be reconciled to him. Come be at peace with him, that we then might have peace with ourselves and peace with others. And to enter into the grace that he gives only through Jesus Christ, the kindness of God to save us though we do not deserve it, and to live each day in the mercy of God. Don't you know that if you're a Christian, you really need never fear God's eternal judgment? All your sins have been paid for and nailed to the cross. And so you can live boldly in God's acceptance, stumbling forward toward heaven each and every day because your inheritance is grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. And that's the life we wish for you this morning if you're here and you've not yet become a Christian. You can become a Christian if you would confess your sins to God. Then put your trust in Jesus to save you from God's judgment and to be your Lord and to follow him 
in that same faith. The Bible says that anyone who puts their faith in Jesus will be saved. And they are adopted as God's true children. And they are brought into the family of God in order to live in the grace and mercy and peace of God day by day, moment by moment. In other words, God has acted to be kind to you, beloved, exceedingly loving. Don't reject that. Don't rebuff that. Accept that. Put your faith in the Lord and have eternal life. And Christian, how do we bless the church then? These are the words that Paul speaks over Timothy. This is how he greets Timothy. Maybe one application here for us as a church, just taking the, the, the wish prayer of this greeting. Why don't we pray through the directory, through the membership directory? There's six people on a page, and you take about one page a day, and you work through the whole directory. Why don't we each day for those six people Pray for God's grace, mercy, and peace to be super abundant in their lives in whatever they're facing. And let's look up in 30 days and see what God has done. Let's look up and see what kind of encouragement God has given us, what kind of strength in the midst of suffering God has given us, what kind of provision uh, practically and, and, and materially God has given us, what, what kind of love he's poured into our hearts by his Spirit. Let's pray for each other and greet each other with this same wish. Grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father and Christ Jesus our Lord. I suspect if we pray that and anticipate that, we'll experience that and enjoy it. Let's pray together. Father, we thank you so much for the beginning of this journey through 1 Timothy. We thank you, Lord, for what we learn of Paul and Timothy in these couple of verses. It reminds us so much of ourselves, that we are people who had a past, one that might have brought us shame or pain or embarrassment or confusion. But because of Jesus, we are not only people with a past, we're people with a future, an eternal future, and we have been made new through him. We pray that you'd help us to preach to ourselves the truths of the gospel and to remind ourselves and to remind each other of what Jesus has done for us. And we pray, O oh Lord, that you would, you would call us steadily into the callings that you have for us, into the purposes that you have for us, and that we would be fruitful in those callings. Even now, right now, stir up some hearts this morning with vision and passion for what you have called them to, and give them such confidence in that calling that they could say, like Paul, that this is from God, and live in that divine purpose. And grant, O oh Lord, that we would be a family as we come out of the shelter of our own homes and rooms, um, joining each other online, and as we come now to join each other in person. Lord, we pray, give us kind of a, a prayerful and patient, a deliberate, Lord, and intentional, hopeful um, um, uh, spirit to build family here, to know each other, to care for each other, the older for the younger, the younger for the older brothers and sisters, spiritual mothers and daughters, spiritual fathers and sons. And grant that, Lord, in time and by your grace that where there have been omissions in our natural life, 
where there have been needs that have gone unmet, where there have been longings, O Lord, that have um, disappointed. Lord, grant in time that those things would be comforted and soothed and filled, and that each person, O Lord, will receive grace from the body, Lord, to, to heal and to help wherever it's needed. We pray that you would do this for your glory and for the joy of this church and do it in all of your churches and for the joy of all of your people, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.